Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Welcome to another episode of the Revelation Project Podcast. Today, my guest is Alyssa Neal, who's a walking paradox. I love that, Alyssa. (laughs) She is a holistic registered dietitian, a certified life coach, in-training quantum alignment human design analyst, and a nourishment evangelist who deeply enjoys exploring all the avenues of nourishment, including and especially those that are culturally taboo. She works with clients one-on-one in her private practice. She hosts groups, intensives, and retreats. She loves nothing more than creation, expression, learning, and connecting. She climbs, dances, hikes, and adores being anywhere outside. She is a human design G-Center authority projector, a Cancer Sun, Pisces Moon, and Capricorn Rising. And while she appreciates all of these ways to define who she might be in relation to you, she also loathes when people try to define her. (laughs) So keep your heart and mind open as we dive in. Yay! (laughs) So fun. (laughs) So fun. And, And so, hey, Alyssa, happy National Orgasm Day. Ah, uh, you too, Monica, 731. <laughs> and let me just tell you, how do, I know you're probably like, how, how does she know this? Well, so I was born at 731 PM, which was my father's bat, state trooper badge number backwards. Oh, so he no. was like, oh, you're my girl. Like you're born at my badge number backwards. And so then it became like this synchronistic number that I just like always will see like in the perfect times, like I'll get like five license plates that are like 137, 731, whatever. So one day I was like looking at the calendar, like the big calendar and looking at holidays on 731. And I was like, no way it's national orgasm day. Oh my of God. course it is. <laughs> that is hysterical. And did you call, did you call your dad and tell him? Um, I don't know if I told him, I feel like I've probably talked about it with him, but I don't know if I like called him in that moment and was like, yo, dad, guess what? Guess what? <laughs> you our, a great number. <laughs> right. Like, guess what our day signifies that is hysterical. Well, and cause I know that you, I know that like you have actually a really open uh, relationship with your dad and your parents in general. Is that right? Oh my gosh. Yes, I do. And they are like, they are saints truly. Like <laughs> when I look, <laughs> not a, when I look back on my life and especially like when I lived with them, I am always just so thankful that they are how they are, which is like very loving, like truly unconditionally and open-minded, even when they don't agree with something. And like, yeah, we've had our fair share of, you know, disagreements, especially when the beloved daughter is posting nude photos online. However, they are insanely phenomenal. Like just as an example, my parents just came and visited me and my mom went and got like a Brazilian wax with me. And my dad like came to coffee with the woman who waxes me because she's like one of my best friends. (laughs) So, you know, we're all hanging out and my dad's like, oh, I'm so happy this is happening and it'll be so fun. And I was like, oh my God, this is like the best moment of my life. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This is, I mean, and so when I hear you say that, like I go into like joy, levity, right? Like all of these ways. And then I am 
immediately like flash to my family and I'm like, it all goes <laughs> womp, 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 you know? So, you know, I'm sure that other people can relate to that who don't have that kind of open. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny because like you use the word unconditionally loving and, and I would say that I, I think my parents think that they are. So there's a lot of generational uh, stuff, baggage that yes. that definitely comes down and I think can be unconscious until it's not. Yeah. And that's the last line right there is the highlight of why when I look back on my experience living in the same household as my family, I'm like, oh, you guys really were patient because I am the kind of person and in my family dynamic, who is like, you know, when I'm young, I'm like, why are we buying CAFO raised meat? Why are we not growing food? Why don't we have chickens? Why? Like, you know, the one that brings up the uncomfortable conversations at the dinner table where, you know, one of my brothers is instigating me. The other one's sitting there looking at me like, oh my gosh. And then my parents are, my dad and I are like full debate mode. Like, so a lot of that openness, honestly, Monica, I believe has kind of been cultivated by me unintentionally pushing the envelope. Like, I don't realize I'm pushing the envelope. I'm doing it because it's what feels right and in alignment and in congruence with like where I'm at. But because my family is such a big part of my life, I end up pulling them in because I'm like, hey, look, this is what I'm doing. And of course, conversation, disagreement, and like different perspectives ensue. I have to say then, you're obviously kind of like a hardcore revealer. You always have been. Mm -hmm. Right? It's just like, what's that, you know, and like, let's expose like the, you know, the elephant in the room or the the what I'm noticing as opposed to what we're living. Yes, exactly. And it's funny, because, you know, in with your podcast, one of the things when I was going through kind of like, what you guys are about, it's like, to reveal the humanity of your existence, right? Like to reveal the anthologies that explain the humanity that you are, the the humanness, the, even the humility, the humbleness, but that comes with that like awe and joy and elation. And it was funny because I was like, I honestly can't think of a story that doesn't reveal like my very humble humanity where, you know, like those moments in my life were like always the most like, oh gosh, I'm down on the floor and I I did this because I had to, I did this because it felt really aligned, but it is so humbling to be in that part of the process, even though that's where all the revelations happen, right? Oh, I love that you just said that. And wait, before we go on, is that the hummingbird I hear in the background? Yes, <gasps> yes, it is. So, uh, okay, because I have chills because I love animal medicine so much. Mm-hmm. And the hummingbird is something that I seem to choose a lot because I don't I don't intentionally choose it, but but it's like the universe continually saying to me, uh, joy and levity, joy and levity. Yes. And that comes really, I want to kind of really transition right into what you just said, because that's that place where I think the human mess, right? Like all of the ways that, that we try to cover it, hide it, walk around it, step over it, gloss over it. That's my natural habitat. <laughs> like I'm, yes. I'm clear on that now, right? <laughs> like there's, yes. there's no shame in it anymore unless I kind of forget, oh, right. Like that's where I actually breathe best. That's where I can actually, right. that's where I can naturally kind of be in the flow because then I'm not having to pretend that I'm somebody that I'm not. I'm human. I'm messy. I don't always get it right. In fact, oftentimes I get it wrong before I learn. And, and that all of that gets to belong. All of that gets to be okay. And 
you like I could have predicted like now that I'm sitting here talking to you (laughs) (laughs) that Mm -hmm. that the universe would have brought us together in this way. So I want to kind of create a little bit of context for my audience because I think it was episode 30 that Jess and I did together, Mm -hmm. which is when I really learned about the Rhode Island fan club that you have going. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, love all of you in Rhode Island and I'm here. And then then I realized that it wasn't just in Rhode Island. It was actually all over the world. And so, (laughs) and so Alyssa is, I'm just going to coin you. And I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but, but to me, you're like the Jason Momoa of the feminine. Mm, I have not. I have not. I don't know who that is. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, I need. I kind of need you to look it up right now. Okay, okay. I'm gonna mute myself so that I um. Okay, I'm not typing on here, and, and maybe yeah, that's fine. So we'll be li- we'll be like waiting while she pulls up Jason Momoa because I know that you know who I'm talking about, Jason. I'm gonna. Oh, I totally know who you're talking about. Oh my <laughs> god, you just made my whole day. What? <laughs> I wish that our video was on just so you could see my expression. Oh, yeah. I'm like, wait, for real? I'm like the worst with like actors, movies, whatever. But of course, I know who that is. I mean, yeah. Well, I'm know. I'm the worst too. But there are certain people that really <laughs> stick out for me, and I I have to say that he really stuck out for me. <laughs> the ones whose names you moan accidentally, and you're like, oh, yeah. oops, oops, Sorry. exactly. <laughs> so so why don't so. So now that we've, you know, created this very important conversation for or this very important container for our conversation, I wanted to really kind of have you explain what is your work in the world? Mm, oh, that question is so tremendously huge. <laughs> it's I almost feel like it's like if you had asked me this like three or four years ago, I would have just said like nourishment, right? And when I talk about nourishment, it's like not strictly nourishment in regard to nutrition. Nourishment is like foundational. It's what fortifies us. And that was the lens I saw through as far as like, okay, what am I here to do? What am I here to teach for a really long time? Because that was like one of my first really like laid flat on my back stories of being like, oh my goodness, wow. I'm struggling. And in this struggle, I'm surrendering. And now I'm learning. I'm having all these revelations, which was when I was uh, a freshman in high school and I was experiencing disordered eating after, you know, this kind of huge untangling, which we can go into that story should we want to in a little while, but that's where I started. And as I explored nourishment, as I explored nutrition, my body, et cetera, I started to realize that there were a lot of things that piqued my interest, like the menstrual cycle and reclaiming, understanding that, reclaiming how we do birth control, reclaiming what it means to be expressive in our sensuality and our sexuality, which, you know, so far I would say like all of these things are avenues of nourishment, right? Um, How we move our bodies, I used to be that person that like would just go to the gym every day because they should, even though they're exhausted and I could feel it draining me. Right. And then there's the story of like me waking up vomiting without control every Thursday night in my week when I was a freshman in college and realizing the impacts that like emotional health and emotional nourishment and balance and not, and making sure my cup is full before I'm pouring my cup out, how much that matters. And so there's been like all of these kind of signposts of like Alyssa getting taken out at the knees and then having to like really learn how to do things optimally. And they were all related to nourishment. However, as I have um, really progressed through that and have worked with clients in that, in those kind of scopes, I have come to this point more recently where I feel like 
as I have become more clear about listening to my body, listening to sensation, uh, being in alignment with what feels correct for me, I have noticed that so much of the kind of norms don't resonate with me. And so as I have built my strong foundation in nourishment, I have been able to explore some alternatives to those norms. And that, Monica, is becoming more and more my work. It's like, hey, let's reclaim the sense of being our own masters, being our own gurus, and leaning in to say, broad spectrum statement here, but it's kind of true. It's it's kind of a fact that every human who lives in like especially a westernized or industrialized modern society has been really conditioned by from everything from billboards to school to how we're raised to religion, right? And so it really causes this tension and this confusion because often the conditioning is not in alignment with our alignment, our purpose, what resonates with us. And So at this point, my work is really becoming like opening that up for people so that they can see how much their conditioning impacts them and then learn how to listen to their body, listen to their own system and be in alignment with what they need. I love this so much. And I'll tell you some of the things that really kind of stuck out for me in what you just said. First of all, this idea of non-resonance and this, this, when I think about resonance and dissonance, now that I know what they are, it's like it resonates for me. It moves me. It calls me forward. It lights my cells up. It gives me chills. All of those are signals yeah. of resonance. Dissonance. I feel, you know, a, a rock in my gut. I feel heavy. I feel resistance. I feel uh, scared. I feel like putting language around what that is. And what I've found, yes. Alyssa, is that. I often talk about, you know, this phenomenon of disembodiment that, you know, and you're right, and I call it the training ground, the social conditioning has created many, many, many thousands upon thousands, if not millions of opportunities for women to abandon themselves and especially their body. Yes. And, you know, when you talk about the disordered eating, you know, there's so many variations of that, as we know. And so, It's this idea that you're doing the work of helping humanity really come back into claiming the truth of who they are and that body piece and that nourishment in all of the ways we kind of nourish the mind, the body and the spirit Mm. are, are now how I'm hearing that your work is so resonant to who you are. Yes. So well said. So well said. And I would love to reflect something, which is like one of the kind of key pinnacles of my story, as far as, you know, how I started to kind of come to this clarity around conditioning. And it was, so when I was like, I think it was like middle school, I like looked like a grown woman. Like it was, it happened real fast. And I remember being in public with my parents goddess, God, universe, bless them, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and feeling their tension around them noticing other people noticing me. Right. Around your sexuality. Around your- yeah, and I was probably like 13, mm-hmm. 12, 13 at the time. And it was a very natural phenomenon for me to be in my body. Like I didn't think anything of it because I had, oh, like I had been raised to be like, oh, you want to run around naked? You want to go in the backyard? You want to play in the pool. Like there was no, you know, like shaming, but then all of a sudden this fear piece comes in, right? Mom and dad are watching young daughter who doesn't look young, get eyeballed at a baseball game, you know, just wearing like normal shorts and like her tank top. And I could feel them being like, oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. what is happening? And I remember then like 
getting messaging like, oh, at school, the principal follows me into the bathroom. Your skirt is too short, right? What like, how dare you wear that to school? And I'm like, no, it's not like it's the fingertip rule applies. And she's like, well, it doesn't look like it. And, you know, just this kind of messaging, that's one example, but it happens repetitively. I think for women, when they come into that phase of their life, especially when it happens younger, because they stand out from everyone, right? And so it was like this kind of like constant low key messaging. And I really do believe that that disconnect from my body and that almost like, again, it's so, so, so subtle, but that subtle, like discomfort, fear, shaming, guilt that I felt around like sexuality in general, just my expression of sexual energy running through my body as a, you know, pubescent woman or as a young woman, I should say, was where I actually popped out of my body in the first place, where I started to go, oh, that's not safe. Ah, oh, yes. That's not good. That's shameful. I need to disconnect. And I've actually said this to like my father in conversation, being like, hey, look, I remember this. Like, I pretty much remember a time where I did not think anything about my body. There was like no judgment. I would just kind of walk around and be in my body and feel. And then I remember like a pretty significant switch over where I started to become incredibly cognizant of how people were looking at you know, interacting with how I was judging my body. And that happened from like time where I was experiencing subtle messaging about my body being too sexual, attracting too much attention, being too sexy, being too whatever. And it's not always a bad lens that it's coming through, right? It's often complimentary, but you feel that underlying tension and you're like, oh, not safe here. Let me take off. Let me live outside my body. So I love how you describe that, uh, Lissa, and, and that, that, that safety. Okay, so, oh, mm-hmm. God, I have so much to say here. What it reminds me of, I'm going to mirror back a story because I feel like it's relevant because it's coming in. Mm-hmm. So I have a daughter who reminds me of you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that is true about who she is and how I've raised her and who I am and how I was raised is that I became hyper aware of protecting her from having to endure any and all of that and all of those ways in which she would have to literally choose to leave her body in order to escape the constant assault. Mm. And so I chose not to bring her to places I knew would do that to her. No church, like no religion, a very kind of like nature, natural school. Mm. We had very small circles. And this wasn't me protecting her as much as it was for a while, giving her a container to be solid in who she was before she became exposed to all of the ways in which the world would try to control her, Mm -hmm. try to dominate her, try to get her to submit. And kind of that currency that happens when we exchange, you know, who we really are in exchange for belonging, in exchange for love, right? In exchange for acceptance from others. And I, and she was outspoken. She was like you at the dinner table. She was constantly pointing to, and I recognized so much of my essential self in her when I was Mm. growing up and kind of this almost like hologram of like what happened. Mm. And so it's so interesting because we, I often, some of the things that happen are when we're out in public, people will look at me and say, Oh my God, like your husband must stand like with a shotgun at the door. And I'm like, you don't have to worry about her. You have to worry about 
about them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Like she'll eat them alive. Like, totally. and it's chained. It's like literally turning this paradigm, this constant, and it's so, it's so pervasive. It's so, it's so, what's the word I want to use? Like prevalent? Prevalent that it sometimes yeah. it's, it's like, I feel like I could be doing it all day, but yeah. I, it's only exposed oftentimes when I'm in her presence because I see it. Right. Like really, really clearly where it's like, you know, like I'm not necessarily, you know, the subject of the male gaze anymore, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But then I'm also not the subject of a lot of what would be admiration from women, but it turns into jealousy, right? Because society has taught us to compare to each other versus celebrate each other. Totally. Yeah. So, so I love what you're pointing to about kind of feeling safe and all of the ways, you know, that, that there are these right? Like we activate each other too in this society with our sexuality. Yes. And yes. and so that that's what you're pointing to with your parents. It's, it's like that dynamic of like, now suddenly I'm making up that like they were thinking like they're needing to shelter you, protect you, and, and also kind of like be in service to your, I don't know, like what? I honestly think it's just like safety. Like honestly, it, it, it well, I don't know if that's all it is, but I feel like it's that like protective element. But again, like even this, Monica, like you just really clearly, you know, painted this picture, but even this caters to like conditioning that we all have around sexuality that is really like ass backwards, right? Exactly. So it's like, yeah, of course you're going to do that as a parent because you've been conditioned to view sexuality through this lens of like it being predatory, right? And just that alone is so messed up. Especially when like, you know, of course, like my parents, I believe, and I don't want to speak for them, but I believe they have a pretty good sex life. But even still, right, even still, there's this conditioning and this like kind of like, well, it's unsafe. Or I don't know if Alyssa can make her own decisions in regard to this. Or I'm not sure that, you know, what if she gets taken advantage of? Or what if someone like pulls a fast one on her, right? And so it's really cool that even how you have um, built the structure for your daughter. It's like, no, look, honey, like what you say goes, you, you're perfect the way that you are. If you are getting sexual, if you're getting attention that's coming from your sexual energy, that's fine. It's also not an explicit invite, right? It's like re it's reconditioning. It's reteaching the the generations that are coming up now to see through a different lens, right? Like I remember getting uh, the book multi-orgasmic couple by Mantak Chia when I was in college and reading that through like the Taoist, uh, you know, perspective of sexuality and our body. And I was like, my jaw was on the ground the whole time. Right. Cause I grew up, like, I actually had a really, really intense, like Christian belief when I was going through my eating disorder. And that was not something that anyone like made me do. I'm just like incredibly connected to spirit. And that was like the easiest access point or the only access point I knew aside from nature. And so, you know, even just through that lens for a while, that conditioned my sexuality because I knew like I masturbated from a really young age, just naturally. And then like learned what I was doing in like health class and like fifth or in sex ed in fifth grade, you know? And then I was like, oh gosh, is this wrong through the lens of Christianity, even though it feels so good, you know? And it makes me feel good. And it's, there's so many elements to it that are better disordered. And when I say disordered, I don't mean like in chaos, but more like that are, that are really not okay for our health. They cause dis-ease because they ask us to separate from like some of the basic foundations of human health. And they make those foundations like dirty or disgusting or shameful. Ah, 
Yes, 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 yes. All of this. The other, the other, I think for anybody listening, I I would say like, you're not alone in that, like that early, (laughs) right? Like discovery of like, oh my God, like orgasm. Hello, happy national orgasm day, everybody. Go (laughs) home and masturbate. But I, I'm sorry. I, that I know, I, I know, I couldn't resist. But this idea, right? Of like, and I love how you were calling it separation. Like I often talk about forgetting and then remembering, forgetting and remembering, right? Because a lot of this work is the work of reclamation. It's the work of reframing. It's the work of you know revealing, feeling, and healing. Because there's mm-hmm. so much from our upbringing that, you know, we kind of reach a point where we're like, wait a minute, like, why is it that I can't feel the full spectrum of the arc of experience? Why am Mm. I holding back or withholding or undermining my own joy, my own self-expression? So it really is, I think, all about kind of this just unbecoming process that I think as women, especially, and I say women, especially because I believe, you know, that there's a huge way that once we're able to kind of do this work, that we're really a huge catalyst for change for the world because of how we are in community. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent agree with you. And one thing that's just coming into my brain slash really on my heart is I just want to say, if there's any parents listening to this right now, don't, please don't flog yourself for like, Oh, I didn't know that or whatever, because I truly believe that like every successive generation makes it easier for the generation that comes next. And there's like more foundation laid, there's better understanding, there's deeper spiritual insight. And it's like all very purposeful, right? Like it's, it's not an accident that I grew up the way that I did because it's allowed me to be who I am. And so if you're listening to this and you have kids and you're raising them or you plan to like, do not beat yourself up for what you've taught them because it has most definitely served its purpose. (laughs) Yeah. And Oh, go ahead. No, I, I just, I love that you brought that in too, because I, I think it's so true, right? There's been so many times where I've been like, ah, oh, why didn't I know? Or why did I do that? Or, you know, sometimes you hear something or, or even read something and like, I'm just like, oh my God, the damage I've done, right? But when we know better, mm-hmm. we, we do better. And I think it's right. true. Like every way that we transform and change who we are happens at just the right time. And it's having this attitude of like, okay, it's getting revealed now because this is the time for me to actually shift into a new way of, of relationship to this thing. Yes. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And like, even to kind of weave that into what you were just saying about women and, you know, women doing this work, I think, yeah, women absolutely can be the ones that like catalyze a lot of this change. And I also think that men really need to be doing it too, because what I have seen is women doing it and then feeling resentment toward the men that they know who aren't doing it. And that, like, I really believe, and I feel like you probably believe this too. um, I've had this experience that like, if both people are doing their work and that looks different for everyone. So like, you know, none of us should try to pull the card where we start leaning in and then we're like, Hey partner, you need to be doing this too. Right. Because that can cause immense amounts of problems. But I think it looks different for everyone, but we activate in each other a lot of different things that wouldn't get activated if there was only one side of the equation. And like when you said like, you know, catering to the male gaze, that's right where my mind went because like maybe four years ago, three years ago, I was very like, you know, anti-male gaze serving. 
And then what I started to realize is like most of my followers are men. It's like a 60-40% split. And what I started to realize was every time I was like anti-male gaze, every time I was anti like, oh, I'm not doing this for men, it was it was like I created this huge rift, like this huge divide. And the, you know, the men got defensive and they were like, what did I do? You know, what's what? And they weren't receptive to the messaging anymore. Ah, it was like, yes. you know? Yeah, well, right. Because then you stop being able to really make a difference over there. Because there's yeah. a lot of what you're saying and a lot of what you're teaching. And this is the piece that I, I really do love about, you know, social media is more of like this saying it right like saying something in a way that that's digestible and being able to do it in a number of different ways with different visuals and a different part of the story and set a different way and eventually because it's digestible because it's bite-sized because it has visuals and words it creates the resonance that we need in order for people to know the direction to head in yes yes so tell me this why is sensation in an important piece of the nourishment conversation for you? Mm, well, okay. <laughs> Such a good question to ask right after you just talked about how <laughs> it's like words and visuals and right. It's like a sensual experience. Like if you are actually on your phone and you're not just scrolling like real fast, but you're like taking the time to look at the accounts you really like and read what they've written and look at the photos, you're having a sensual experience, right? You're reading, you're imagining. Um, you might look at the photo and be like, oh, they're standing in water. Is that cold? Is that hot? You start to imagine. And so you activate your imagination. You also activate your nervous system to become aware of what's happening for you, right? And so I love this, <laughs> I love this bridge because as far as sensation goes, our bodies are like the ultimate sensing organisms, right? Like we are what they call like a super organism. We're a bunch of different organisms essentially working synergistically. And in our ability to survive, we have cultivated the ability to sense so well that even our gut microbiome responds to what we are sensing and our emotions, right? So the reason that I always bring the conversation back when I'm working with clients to like, hey, what do you think you need? Or like, how does it feel for you? What was your experience with it? What were you sensing? Is because we are getting massive amounts of information into essentially, you know, our, our nervous system, our neural network, and our bodies being really, or our nervous systems having a lot of plasticity, ability to adapt, are, are sending us signals, are communicating with us, right? To say, hey, Alyssa, wake up, or hey, pay attention to this, or hey, you're not feeling anxious for no reason, like you you maybe just missed something, right? Or there might be a threat here, or there's mold on that, or you know, whatever it is. It's you could give different examples for hours here. But our senses cue us into that, number one. So our senses create this conversation between our environment, that includes people, our environment, the food we're eating, the places we are, the air we're breathing, and our container, our physical vessel. And number two, when we are in our senses, we are not overthinking. Right. And a lot of people in our culture, or I should it shouldn't say a lot of people, but culturally we really exalt intellect, right? We we exalt logic and that very like structured masculine, which is needed, right? You need the masculine essence, that that structure to hold the creative chaos. However, like we just talked about the male gaze, when it's really imbalanced, it does not cause harmony. It's it's not harmonious at all. And so when we are overthinking, whether that's overthinking about 
our food, the sex we're trying to have, the pleasure we're trying to give ourselves, the connection we're trying to kindle as we're talking to someone. There's so many different things, right? If we are overthinking, we are not receptive to the conversation that's happening with our environment. And therefore, we can't really act in real time based on our optimal needs. So it's like that two part. One, it's going to give you like really good, fast information. And two, it prevents you from overthinking. And the overthinking is where the conditioning happens, right? The not self happens. And that's where we get led astray. Diet dogmas, oh, we can't have this kind of sex because it's not allowed. Or, oh, I read that women can't orgasm or however many percentage of women can't orgasm. So now it's a belief I hold as an auto suggestion that hit my subconscious mind, right? Whereas if you're in your senses, you're not thinking about any of that. You're just open and receptive to the experience. And then you're able to, in real time, say, hey, actually, can you try this? Or actually, I'm not that hungry yet. Let's wait, right? The word that comes up for me as you're describing this is trust, to trust your body, to trust your senses. Mm. And that, like you said, like if there's something that is like not revealed yet, it's and like there might be something hidden in that space, but to actually trust your body that your body's picking up on something, which I think is so important. And when we are not in our bodies, and this herein comes lies some of the challenge, we can, we've shut all of that down. We do not trust our body. And that's where that overthinking and not self that you're referring to, I feel like we're, we spend a great bulk of our time there if we're not in this conversation or in a practice that keeps this conversation alive in our lives. Right, exactly. And that's like part of my realization coming part of me coming to my senses, so to speak, was when I, after I lost, so how my disordered eating started was essentially that I had like a handful of people over a span of time in my life be like, you should model, you should do pageants, you should blah, 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 blah. And I always was like, yeah, like I enjoy being in front of people. I enjoy performing. I enjoy creating. And I knew that even from this young age, but I was also like, but I know I am actually like too big for this. Just knowing what I knew about the field, because I have always been, you know, like when I went through puberty, by the time I was done, I was like 155 pounds or something. And I was built like I had a really beautiful body. But when you're that young, if you haven't had that fortified into you, from every single level. And even if you have, honestly, you're still really susceptible, right? So I was like, I had a guidance counselor say, hey, you should do this pageant. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to drop in and do this. So I did it. And how I do things, Monica, I imagine you might be this way too, but (laughs) I tend to do them like with the intensity to like the 10th power. You know, I'm not just like going to do the pageant to do the pageant. I want to walk in there and be like, this is my pageant, you know? Yeah. Like be Serena Williams. The first time you pick yeah. up a tennis racket. I don't even know what you're talking about. What on earth are you talking about? I know I can tell you're totally not like that. <laughs> not at all. Can't relate. I have a huge, I think my smile is so big. I think I just busted my lip. Go ahead. Right. Case in point. Right? Case in point. Uh. So I, I enter into this experience and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this like optimally. And I, st- I stop like going out with friends. I'm in ninth grade and in high school, I stopped going out with friends. I stop like, you know, doing like the high school parties and all the things. And I start going about it like nine o'clock. I get up in the morning. I ride my bike to the gym. I have like very specific structured eating. I have a coach. I'm reading uh, Think and Grow Rich. You know, like I'm like in it. I'm sitting out on my deck naked tanning trying to, so I don't have tan lines while answering like flashcard questions. Like just, I mean, 
hilarious, like for the fact that I was what, like 14 years old, 13, 13, 14. And so I went through that experience and it went phenomenally, but I lost a lot of weight in prepping for the pageant. I lost like 30 pounds in three months. So I, I pretty much looked emaciated for my personal size and my genetics. And I went to the doctor and this is really where the story ties in. I went to the doctor for my physical and she's like, have you had your period in the last couple of months? And I was like, actually, now that you mention it, no. And she was like, well, you are really royally messing with your bone density right now. Like you've been in the 95th percentile your entire life for height and weight. And all of a sudden you're down here at the fifth percentile for your weight. She's like, you like, if you don't gain this weight back, you need to go on birth control because your bone density is going to be messed up. And I remember something in me, like it was like a knife twisting into my stomach. And I was like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? And I looked at her and I was like, I don't want to go on birth control. I'm not even sexually active yet. Like I'll just gain the weight back. And she like kind of looked at me shocked. And I remember, I like remember the entire experience. I remember it so vividly because that moment it hit me that I had done everything right culturally, all of the right things. I was working out and eating good, and da, 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 da. but I overrode so many signals from my body and that my period had disappeared for the last two months. And I, I missed it. I totally missed that it had even happened. And that was like my, you know, again, down out on my back being like, oh gosh, Liz, you did, you were trying to do everything optimal. And instead you did it based on like, cultural conditioning. You got really skinny, you worked out a ton, you ate really perfect and all these things, but your body has been actually trying to communicate with you about getting your period back. Now, Monica, when I tell you that that is when the adventure started for me, like truly started for me, it is no exaggeration because as soon as I said, I will gain the weight back, it became a very sobering realization that my mental space, my mindscape, as I call it in my practice around how I relate to food in my body was so disordered and so messed up and really, really rigid. And that was really where I lost a lot of my sparkle. Not only did I lose like my, um, my period and my, my hormonal health as a young woman, but I lost my radiance. And I was like, all right, here we go. We are setting off on the adventure. It took me three years to get my period back. Wow. Three years. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I love the word radiance. It's Mm. like radiance to me is like that inner, it's that it's the place you stand when you are firmly rooted in the truth of who you are. Mm -hmm. So well said. Yeah. And, and you just glow from that place because you know, from that place. Mm -hmm. So what, Okay, so when you start working with clients, mm-hmm. there's a lot. Like, where do you start? It's more like, where don't we start? Because it's so like in a structural sense, our our first official like call as we're working together is like a pretty much a two hour phone call. And here's the big thing, or I should say the most significant thing. I meet every client where they're at, truly. So like I, and because I know from my own experience that that is, how I function. If Mm -hmm. someone tries to push past where I'm at, the resistance goes up and I'm like, don't tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. Right. So I meet clients where they're at. That's the starting point always. So if someone's like, Hey, sure, there's all this disordered stuff going on, but I just want to talk about food. Then I know that's my entry point. 
And that has happened before where I have women that are clearly, and they'll say it, Hey, I've gone X amount of years without like eating all day. And then I come home and have a meal. And the the only entry point I have, because the fear is so high that they're going to gain weight is, you know, essentially writing them a diet that I'd write for someone who's going to lose fat. Cause the only thing that they're willing to eat is protein. Cause if I write them a diet where they're going to all of a sudden start gaining weight, they don't want any of it. And they also don't want to go into their conditioning because it's still, they, they don't feel like they're in alignment. So they're not really willing to explore. Their mind's still in that hyper-focused fear mode of like, I can't gain weight. Whereas I have some clients come to me and they're like, hey, look, like I need like a radical transformation with how I nourish because oof, it's been too long and I know it's hurting me and let's just go full in. And you know, those clients, not better or worse, just very different. Those clients, the conversation looks incredibly different. We go into, you know, like the emotional health around eating. And oftentimes I will like pull their human design and look at it. I'll pull like their natal chart, their gene keys there. I'm trying to get a sense of like, okay, what are the energetics of this person? What are their patterns? How have they been conditioned? Um, I'll ask them about that. You know, what are the narratives you have around food in your body? And we'll go into that. And then it's like, okay, well, before we even get to the diet stuff, let's rewrite some of these narratives. Let's create practices that hold space for you to come back to yourself. And then we'll get to the food. But really, every time I know I can write the most perfect meal plan or give someone the most perfect structured eating and food lists and protocols, but if they are not in a place where their heart is open to change and they want to change and they're willing to push themselves through some of the essentially the composting cycle, right? Like that dirty, messy, stinky cycle that we have to go through in order to have something that's really fertile to get that black gold to be like, oh yes, this is exactly what I need. This is exactly where I want to be. If they're not willing to do that, then it's not time yet, you know? And so it really depends on where the client's at, where I start with them. So much is coming up for me because I I really am kind of listening as you're speaking and I'm realizing, right, like nourishing, it's a verb, like you're always doing Mm -hmm. it. Like it's, it's in your thoughts, it's in your narrative, it's in the way that you set up your space, your environment. And it really comes back to like, nourishment equals alignment equals radiance. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's what I've seen. Because so here's my confession. I've been watching women that you work with. Mm. And what I've been noticing is how they show up. Mm. And how they show up is like, I'm seeing a softening, a relaxing, a trusting, a strength, a vulnerability, a trueness to who they really are. And, and it's beautiful. Like it's beautiful. And I don't know if you realize this, but how the Revelation Project started was as a compassionate witnessing project. Oh, cool. And I didn't know what I was doing. All I knew <laughs> was that I had had this spiritual experience in the shower and whatever the thing was said it was the Revelation Project. And I was like, um, okay. And then from that place, like things just started to happen in synchronicity. And I, it's only in looking back that I was like, oh, that, of course, like that was the Revelation Project. I was in a place of receptivity mm-hmm. and the universe was coming to nourish me. And it was going to use, you know, the truth of who I was as kind of a beacon for 
what I was good at. And it literally, it was like that alignment started to happen and women started to come to me who were needing to see their true selves. And so it was like a photo journey. Mm. And in the journey, what we would do is we would document. So we would kind of, we would do this exercise where we would center a woman and then we would kind of do some hair and makeup, but in a very natural, fun way, organic way. And then we would photograph her for several hours and kind of like coach her through where she would disembody. Mm. We weren't using that language, but what we were doing was kind of capturing the essence of her in all of these ways. And then we were sharing it on social media. And what was so cool was it was creating so much resonance with other women. Yes, But it was this idea of really kind of revealing that true self and that process of also witnessing. Because as women, I think we can also look at each other and be like, I don't know what she's got, but I want what she has because there's <laughs> something there that like that like that radiance is contagious. It's recognizable. It's in yes. it's so intoxicating. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I love I love that story because it that you just spoke such a profound truth, which is that like when you are well, when you are radiant, when you are in, when you are caring for yourself, you exude, you're magnetic. There's a magnetism that's there. And it's, it's, I believe it's how we are designed to be as humans, right? Because we are designed to live to being witnessed. Like we truly are. It's, to be witnessed is so Powerful. scary these and, days. Yes, and so right, yes, because we're we've been taught that judgment matters, but really, and this kind of comes back to what you're saying when you're like, oh, she has something. Really, I feel like we only judge because we we repress so much that we end up projecting it onto people. And often, what I have noticed is that women, woman to woman, there's first that kind of like, ooh, like ooh. That's kind of makes me uncomfortable to witness in another woman, but there's something that's magnetic about it. And then, then the woman realizes, oh, that lives in me too. Mm. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm a little disturbed by it because I'm realizing that it's in me and I haven't let it out, but there's so, and, and, you know, of course for men too, and anyone on the whole spectrum of how they're identifying, but like, I think that that is a really key process and to, where we're heading is to, instead of something kind of like triggering us or disgusting us or turning us off and then being like, oh, that's wrong. That's bad. And pushing it away, even within ourselves going, oh, that kind of just like tapped into me a little bit and then going, okay, why? Like, where is that in me? And then seeing it and being like, oh, that's part of my humanity. It's not bad. It's not good. It's not right or wrong. It's just part of the being. And it's the being is never it's never the same all the time, right? It's, it's dynamic. And I can imagine that your experience having these women, like making them feel really good in their body, getting them ready, and then empowering them and witnessing them, they get to see, oh, the sacred whore is coming out in me and it actually feels really good. Or, oh, the very like delicate feminine maiden is coming out in me and it feels really good or, you know, whatever it is. And being witnessed in that spectrum of expression is probably a revelation for all of them. Oh my God. Yeah. And actually, as you're, li- as you're describing it, I'm like, you know, just having this emotion wash, o- wash, wash over me because uh, 
Because it, it's all of that, right? Like it, it's yeah. this idea that we hold all of these different aspects to ourselves. We're not like you just said, you know, it's like we're dynamic, we're constantly changing. We're in kind of when we're, I think when we're being true to ourselves, we're just we're we're in that flow, that universal mm-hmm. energy that that magnetism that you're talking about. And I think one of the most powerful things that you really said is that this, we're, we were meant to be witnessed and not in the way necessarily that we were talking about before, but in the truest sense, it's like this idea of like, I see you. Mm-hmm. I see you and you like back to that unconditional love. I think that's the space that we become in. Right. That we be- we continue to become in, and it's just well back to National Orgasm Day, right? <laughs> yeah, truly though, and this is where like even even okay. So you just you just spoke something that you know when you said not necessarily in the way you said earlier. I imagine you meant like being witnessed as a young woman by like men who are like oh. right, like not that okay. kind of gaze, not that kind of witnessing, right? The kind of witnessing where you can fully be present to somebody else's full present and call full presence and call it good and call it beautiful and call it radiant and call it love. Yeah. And I also want to wade into this a little bit further because I, I think this is where like you really start to see the roots of what we learn and how we're conditioned, how deeply it goes. Because like, let's say theoretically, I don't even know what this ideal would look like, but let's just say theoretically, theoretically, we all learn that like sexuality requires consent and there's not an invitation until there's a very clear, explicit invitation. And that sexual, through our sexual energy, we can transcend and we can have spiritual connection and experiences and that orgasm is a portal to download more energy and download insights and to be in our body and it is healthy for our brain and our nervous system and you know let's say that we learned sex that way right yeah and a young woman comes into her sexuality and men are noticing her feminine essence and they're polarized to it would it even be a bad thing I don't think so no right it would be like a recognition like oh wow, like you've gone through the initiation of bleeding. I see you like masculine essence to feminine essence. I see you and I'm polarized toward it. And that's where it's like, I mean, I'm such an idealist in this way, but like, I would love for that to be the trajectory we head down as humans, because is it bad to be witnessed like that in actuality? If there are like, really healthy boundaries and clear understanding of the energy and of the of the boundaries no not at all it's that would not be bad or scary or negative or wrong it's the perversion of sex it's the perversion of a young woman it's the perversion of what our sexuality means that comes from the conditioning that allows us to not be nourished from our sexuality right so it's really like the male gaze is totally fine female i've seen females check out men harder than men have checked out women but it's like you know that whole perversion and adulteration of the concept of sexuality and sex as nourishment well okay and here i'm just like chills all over my body because What's so interesting is when intimacy, Mm. right? That idea of intimacy, of being able to be in connection and full presence of somebody else and be with them. What you're talking about when you talk about the perversion of that is when it transforms into pornography. Mm. 
And that's when we look away, when we objectify, when we, and so it just, God, it just kind of came full circle in its own right, which I love so much because we've really, you know, it's so funny, uh, Alyssa, when we started talking and I, and I was like, I really want to talk to you about visibility. Like now I'm looking at where conversation, all of the ways in which visibility uh, turned into, you know, your work in the world and, and, and revealing as a kid, the things that were hidden. And then this idea of like, you know, feminine power and strength and witnessing. And, you know, it's just such a cool conversation just to look at it from that, from that lens of like, as we step into our power as women, there's something here around giving ourselves permission to be who we are, but to be visible in who we are. Yes. And also to really start taking a look. There's that, there's that visibility again, but now with our, with our eyes, but, but almost like our, our heart vision Mm -hmm. to take a look at what kind of is not resonating, you know, what's not feeling what's feeling too restrictive anymore? Where do you want to kind of like unleash, unbecome, Mm -hmm. like, like expand those containment walls and really self-liberate? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like dissolve the boundaries that don't need to be there anymore or the ones that don't serve you. The ones that don't serve. Absolutely. So how about this? As my final question, what is your, where do you, what do you want what do you want your legacy in the world to be? Oh my goodness. That's a super interesting question. It's really, it's actually an ironic question because I feel like when I was younger, I was so driven by, and and when I say younger, I mean like up until maybe two years ago, <laughs> um, I was really driven by this like concept of having to prove of like proving wrong, like proving people who said I couldn't do things wrong or like proving, pe- you know, whatever. And it wasn't coming from a, a, like an, I guess it was coming from a negative space, but it was also coming from the space of like, no, I know my capacity as a human. Like I know that humans are powerful and I know that I can do whatever I want to do just being a human. Right. But I also want to prove that to you because you told me no. And that was what drove me for so long. And it's really interesting because as I have softened into my feminine far more. Like I grew up very masculine, which really served me. How I approached things was a lot more masculine, very to the point, very aggressive, like just constant doing. And then I'd kind of like zone out. But legacy used to be really important to me. And it almost like its importance has almost entirely dissolved to me the more that I am in my feminine, because when I'm in my feminine, I feel like I'm so present in the moment where it's really just about the moment. Mm. Like it's, I don't even perceive time anymore in that space. It's just like, what, what are my senses picking up? And so that question I feel like has almost dissolved for me recently where it's just like, no, what lights up my heart? How, how can I open further in ways that feel in alignment in ways that feel nourishing to me? And you know, maybe ask me it again in like five years. But at this point, I'm like, I don't even need a legacy. I know that like, or I don't even have desire for a legacy. It's just like, as long as I know that moment to moment, I'm doing what I feel magnetized toward doing, 
it will play out perfectly. And like, I know in hindsight, when I die and I get to watch the slideshow of my life, you know, then that moment I will understand what my legacy is. But I feel like to try to control it or name it is so limiting based on just my experience so far, knowing how much more expansive life gets every time I'm just present. Well, and back to that dynamic that you were talking about that and 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 how I really hear what you're saying is like you're living your legacy. You are the living legacy of kind of being fully in the moment. Totally. Yes, that's so well said. And you know, this that we can tie this back to National Orgasm Day essentially because <laughs> you know, I everything this- everything today <laughs> is going to be tied back to National <laughs> Orgasm Day. Yes. Mom and dad, if you're listening, shut it off now. No, I'm just kidding. But um, you know, in the sense that when I when I think as we as you just said that as I think about and I reflect on something that I feel like is a continual process for me is, you know, <laughs> the the best and the easiest and the the most relevant to orgasm example that I can give you is like when you when you first start having like anal sex, right? And you're like, okay, I really need to be softened. I need to like I can my body can either contract and be really closed and be really like I'm not really sure about this or I can choose to ask for what I need to soften and to surrender instead of struggle. And in that moment of choosing, all of a sudden where we feel empowered because it's not contraction and struggle, it's surrender and accept. And that opens us, right? And then in surrendering to that moment, we find like absolute bliss in the surrender because we're just like, oh, oh, wow, interesting. I can expand. I am expansive. And that I would say is where we hit orgasm right? In that moment where our mind stops overworking, we stop being overly contracted in a metaphorical sense, and we are just open to the experience of being. And that, like, if I could leave a legacy, that is it. Oh, she was always so surrendered and open. <laughs> well, and and I love too that, you know, what, what else is true really is that there are so many places that we have made taboo, that we have made... Yes unexplorable because it's bad and wrong. And it's this idea of like, well, if that's not your edge, there are plenty of places where we have kind of, you know, like gone frigid as a society, Mm -hmm. you you know, and really become unmalleable, unexplorable, uninhabitable, right? Um, in, In terms of kind of exploring those edges and those quote unquote boundaries or taboos. Yes. Yeah. And and I love your definition there of that place where the ego is no longer kind of controlling the outcomes and controlling the narrative um, and interrupting the flow. So this has just been, you know, such such a great conversation, Alyssa. I honor you. I honor your work in the world. I I love I love this conversation. And actually, I want to do a whole nother podcast on human design because Mm. I know that there's so much there for you to share in some of the other tools that you use Mm -hmm. that I think would also bring a lot of insight and revelation to our listeners. So thank you again for everything today. It was truly a pleasure. Like, 
truly, truly, I have looked forward to it from the moment that I first heard your podcast with Jessica Martin on it. I was like, oh, Monica and I are going to talk <laughs> and we are going to be so synergized and synchronistic that it's just, we're not, we could probably this podcast be six hours, right? It's like, I know. <laughs> I'm like watching the time <laughs> and I'm like, shit, you know, like I really don't want it to end. So thank you for just, you know, all of these ways in which I, I love like meeting somebody that's so dynamic in the way that you are because I can, it, it all, it activates my creativity. It activates so much in me. It's, and it's mm-hmm. back to kind of like, I see you, right. And I see, and I see myself in you. So yes. thank you in all the ways and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Monica. And thank you so much for just your existence in the world, holding the container for the Revelation Project. And I mean, what you're doing is so profound. I really appreciate you. Aww, likewise. All right. Thank you. More to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.